0: I'm already downloading. I've ignored you and I'm downloading this right now. (laughs) Hello, you're on the terrace. This is the companion podcast to Night Terrace, the time travel comedy for your ears. I'm Vaya. I'm a night terrier. I yap incessantly about the show. (laughs) I'm also a Ramsey Street retriever. I retrieve a lot of neighbours' plot information. In this episode, we're taking a closer look at Series 2, Episode 5, Ancient History. It's written by Ben McKenzie, who voices Eddie Jones, and who's sitting here to have a chat about it. Hi, Ben. Hi, Van. How's it going? Good. Uh, Night, no,
1: Terrier. You... <laughs> you get me every time.
0: Now- I'm, I'm kind of sad you're not already doing your bad Irish accent for the whole uh, episode.
1: Oh, uh, it's uh, – I no, I can't. <laughs> I mean, the thing is I could do – I like to think at least that I can do a pretty good ac- Irish accent, but Eddie can't.
0: No, that was not what the script required. No,
1: no, the script will never require me to do a good accent, unfortunately, <laughs> I feel, on this show. <laughs>
0: So we have our trio of time and space travellers, Anastasia, Eddie and Sue, turn up in the midst of Celtic history in the Iron Age, but there's no time for them to enjoy the pre-climate emergency greenery as Sue's captured by the tribe of Lingones. And then while they're trying to rescue her, Eddie and Anastasia are bailed up by a mercenary. And then while the three of them are trying to avoid becoming the dish of the day at the tribal feast... They're also finding themselves battling each other because Eddie still can't garner either professional or personal respect from Anastasia Black.
1: No, poor old Eddie. Yeah, he's. Good. It comes to a head in this episode,
0: and it made me really think about all like this year that they've been travelling together. All those cups of tea they have while they're travelling to the next destination. They're not even having small talk, and she's not. She hasn't established anything about where he's, what his background is.
1: No, and it very little of that comes up in the episodes either. Um When they go back to ancient Australia, he, he talks about how he's always got his phone on just in case he ever gets a signal, but you're not really sure who he wants to call. Oh. But you never really find out that much about his backstory. Will we? I couldn't possibly answer that question. Uh, fine. <laughs> Um, I mean, look, you know, arguably we don't know that much about Anastasia Black either. No.
0: And but really what we know about her is a professional background. Yeah. Her resume.
1: Yeah. And in this episode, you know, she and Sue reveal that they keep it professional on purpose. It's a habit they've got into from working at the department, which clearly dissuades them from getting too personal. Although if you listen to how Sue talks to her co-workers in the department before she arrived in the house, it was oh, it was pretty chummy. But at the same time, with this air of menace. Morning. Good morning. You could have brought me one.
0: Sorry, Jeff. This caffeine is for me and me alone. Look, I'm even swiping in like a good girl.
1: You're free to enter.
0: It's leaving that I worry about. Yeah, Sue seems like one of those people that whichever workplace they're in, their workplace becomes their family. Now, what took you guys to goal when Yoba were plotting the episode?
1: I usually get to write the historical episodes because I'm the nerd. I like to do the research. And the basic premise for this one started out just as they go somewhere where they're worried about messing with history, but they don't actually know what the real history is supposed to be. And from there, it's sort of like, well, it also needs to be something recognizable. It can't be something so obscure that nobody has any clue what's going on. Um, And also, like Eddie, I really love Asterix. So oh. it was it, that's sort of where it came from.
0: Hold on, Asterix. You mean Asterix, the Gaul? The comic book? Yes, I loved them when I was a kid. So many puns. Well, I was a bit at sea here because I did not read the Asterix comics, but also I this pocket of history kind of passed me by.
1: Well, I think it passed a lot of people by. I oh, mean good. it's not I mean, unless you uh, presumably if you grow up in France, you learn a lot about it. I, I don't know, but it is part of the Roman conquest of Europe. And most history that we sort of think about and that we're taught is important is what happens after that, um, sort of after the Roman Empire has receded and the modern sort of nations arise. Whereas if you go back to this period when the Romans are sort of sweeping across and they're fighting with all the locals and taking all their lands, and there's not a lot of – I mean, the, the, basically all we know about the Gauls is from what the Romans wrote about okay. them. So that also was nice because, you know, they didn't have any written history. There's nobody really knows what druids did, um, particularly not, um, Gaulish druids, but even, you know, druids in other part of other Celtic parts of the world, um, up until fairly recent druidic practices, nobody really knows what they did. Like they, they didn't write any of it down. It was all oral tradition. And when it sort of died out, nobody remembered it. So that gave me a lot of leeway, although it is fairly clear that they did sometimes probably sacrifice people. I should, I should say they were not going to eat them. Oh, really? That was not on the table, so to speak. (laughs) Uh, They were just going to sacrifice them to the
0: gods. Um, Oh, okay. Sorry. That's still horrible.
1: It's still pretty bad, but I just, I just (laughs) don't want anybody to write in and say, Hey, the Gauls were not cannibals. And I'm like, (laughs) Look, I know, but do we know? We don't really know. And I I think that was the exciting part. Um, The only thing I could accurately really research. Were the names. Oh. And I really, they were great.
0: Carissa, growing impatient for your feast, Gessataya. What is it with these names?
1: I mean, uh, I say that, I'm well aware that things like Lingonis, like this sounds much more like a Roman name and it may be a name that the Romans gave to the Gauls, but it's the only name that we've kind of got.
0: Yeah, it sounds Italian. Yeah. Like how Santorini is Italian, but it has a Greek name too. Yeah. Now I have a lot of, I had a lot of joy In this opening scene, I listened to it so many times. It was so fun. (laughs) Eddie is getting this dressing down by Anastasia for putting them all in danger again.
1: I was only trying. I know what you were trying to do. What's the first rule of visiting alien civilizations, Eddie? Not to mess around with anything.
0: I can't hear
1: you. Can you hear him, Sue? No. Not to mess around with anything that looks important. Tom,
0: not not supposed to mess around.
1: That was so much fun to do, you know. Like, it's just playing Eddie, you you often are the underdog character, the low-status character. You're just sort of, I say you, you don't get to do it. Sorry, listeners, I get to do it. And it is a lot of fun, but it's particularly fun when he's in trouble, I think. Yes. And he knows that he's done something wrong.
0: And I love Anastasia telling anyone off. It's really putting me in a happy place because lately on Neighbours, Susan Kennedy, who obviously Jackie Woodburn's other main character, has had to do a lot of telling off as principal of Erinsborough High. There's a new transgender character that's come to Ramsey Street. A lot of people are rallying around her, but there's like a lot of her staff at Erinsborough High – just a a, a bit rattled. She's like... Mackenzie is a girl. Therefore, she'll play on the girls' team. She will use the girls' change room and the girls' bathroom. You're well aware of where the school stands on this issue. It's never actually been relevant before. Well, Angela, this is the reality. Erinsborough High does not discriminate against any student and it won't tolerate discrimination from anyone. They're like, what do do we do if the students ask questions? Well, well, it's none of their business. (laughs) (laughs) I just get these little hints. Of Anastasia, and then when I'm listening to Anastasia, I get little hints of Principal Susan Kennedy, yeah. and it's a delight. And it then... did
1: feel like being sent to the principal.
0: <laughs> Except in this case, Eddie sends himself off to the pantry instead of his room. <laughs> oh,
1: and stay there rather than admit that he was wrong.
0: <laughs> and I keep – I imagine Sue's just constantly tinkering. whenever Wherever they're travelling, she's always making amendments and updates to the place. Yeah, most likely. So Eddie still wants to enjoy this sense of adventure, but – Sue and Anastasia still see this as work and Anastasia's a little bit envious of Eddie in that way because she's lost that sense of joy and wonder.
1: Yeah, there's that great line where she says,
0: I saw it as an adventure once, didn't we all? So you
1: can just hear the sort of longing for that time in her voice.
0: I love the environment that we get a sense of instantly with the sound of footprints on the grass and on the kind of marshy ground and it's sort of rustly and crunchy and yeah i really enjoyed that as the trio are trying to figure out where they are and then they are trying to run away from the warriors the Lingodians that are after them oh
1: they didn't think to mention that in your comic book asterisk don't blame me i'm beginning to think the writers didn't do any research at all knock it off both of you
0: The footprints do a lot to
1: paint a picture. David Ashton has a lot to say about footprints. He did such great work in this. That opening scene was really fun because I got to give him something cool and sci fi to do. And I left it fairly open for him in the script. And he did such a great job on it.
0: I just actually caught a glimpse of the script, which I don't normally look at. But it says the opening sound is um, Desert Winds.
1: I had an image in my head, but I also didn't want to get it too fixed an image in my head because I just wanted it to be it's a place that. Seems a bit dangerous and weird and alien. For the montage of sounds at the beginning of episode five, what I wanted to create first of all was the sense of an empty landscape. Um, so there's a bit of, a bit of wind noise just to suggest nothing happening. And then we hear a little bit of ominous music and then this explosion and then laser guns zapping. And I just pull out all the cliche sounds and go completely over the top. What I like about this sequence is, is, is this sense of, in between the stories we hear in these episodes, they're, they're having more adventures. And, and you know, we hinted that occasionally in the dialogue and stuff. So it's nice to hear the, the end of one of them. It's just a great way to start the episode.
0: Now, pretty quickly, we meet Carissa, b- played by Brianna Williams.
1: Yeah. Oh, she's so good in this.
0: She's one of the Lingonian... Warriors. I've
1: I've been lucky enough to work with Brie quite a, f- a few times, and she brings it. Um, she's now possibly best known for the Bachelor after shows. What? So she and, and two other people like watch the Bachelor and comment on it. Um, it's called like the Bachelor Unpacked, and it's it is hilarious. Like um, I, I I am not a super Bachelor fan, but if you are, do check it out. It's pretty amazing.
0: I'm already downloading. I've ignored you, and I'm downloading this right now. <laughs> No, it is. Whenever
1: anyone kind of gets a little bit yeah, honestly, deep, they always have to so whisper. To yeah. me.
0: They're
1: like, the thing is, Matt,
0: I really like you. you Dramatic you pause.
1: The thing so, is Matt,
0: uh, I think Toy Story 2 Story is
1: better than Toy Day. Story 1. Get the limo. <laughs> 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 yeah, it's a lot of fun. And, and I always watch the clips of it that she shares because she is hilarious. And she was so good in this. And it was just so much fun to write all of these characters because I just had it in my head that, um, I wanted to make them all kind of frightening because the idea is that they're all, they're you know, they come from a warrior people, so they're they're all you know, kill you as soon as they look at you <laughs> if they think that you're a threat. But I also wanted to give them sort of complementary characteristics. And Carissa is just like incredibly bloodthirsty, but also really, really nice and chirpy and and friendly.
0: The punishment for trespass is instant death. <gasps> really. <laughs> <laughs> face of course not (sighs) not instant death we'll have to take you back to the village first
1: (laughs) it feels weird to like listen back to a thing that you wrote and be like that's really good but it it was you know and i think it turned out well and uh, so much of that is down to the performances of the actors
0: now she's aussie i assume yes yes but pretty soon we're gonna meet king catarix yes who's played by irishman dave callan who's a comedian yes and is essentially an, an old Celtic king. When you meet him, you're like, "Oh, there he is!" Looks like, yeah. he's time traveled here. Yeah,
1: yeah, he's great as well. He couldn't make it to the studio recording, so we recorded him separately. It was a lot of fun to make him sort of this jolly guy, but also quite bloodthirsty. But at the same time, like very into his creature comforts like he complains about not getting enough sleep at the same time he wants to stay up late and watch the druidic sacrifice sacrifices are strictly druids only besides it must happen
0: when the moon is highest and you always get grumpy when you stay up late
1: true enough by the gods i'm a tyrant if i don't get my eight hours
0: it's very relatable yeah we also meet Gamwolf. so sue is captured by the lingonis and while anastasia and eddie are Trying to figure out how to rescue her and having a spat over it, they are then captured by a mercenary, Gamwolf, hmm. played by Adam Samuel, who I find a little Peter Serafinowicz esque.
1: Oh yeah, he's given it his best growly voice.
0: <laughs> Timing is everything.
1: Oh, I don't know. Being quiet is right up there too. I kind of imagined him like in my head, like a lot of the characters. Like, I kind of imagined looking a bit like. Sort of well dressed like characters from particular Asterix comics, and for some reason I always saw him with like you know like a wolf's pelt ah. and like an actual wolf's like like a little headdress thing made out of a wolf. I don't know. He's a, uh, uh, he's probably a goth or something, but right. he's he's a traveling mercenary.
0: What I do enjoy is that Sue throws back a little bit to her se- series one persona and starts to try and bamboozle people by asking questions back at them. I could go on like this all day. Or. Could you? Hey, that's my line.
1: <laughs> She's met her match in the Druid, which I kind of, like, he's mysterious. That's his job, you know? So um, they're kind of evenly matched there. But because he's got the upper hand, he gets one over on her.
0: Can you say the Druid's name for
1: me? Vinoginous. Everyone <laughs> had difficulty pronouncing that. <laughs> I'm sure that they probably would have had shortened versions of those names, but. Who knows what they were
0: So Gamwolf brings Anastasia and Eddie to the village The trio are then set to be sacrificed to the gods mm. Or possibly, they seem, feel like they're going to be eaten Because there's a big old <laughs> feast being laid out No, there's just a feast happening It's, this, it's not part of the feast <laughs>
1: I never realized people would think that. I hope nobody I hope not too many people think that. It's not it's not what's happening.
0: Look, I did enjoy that Eddie thought that they would get to tuck in before they were sacrificed. Mm.
1: Which they probably would have. I mean Bree's character does say
0: Well, we wouldn't want you to be uncomfortable. The guards don't like grumpy sacrifices. Who does? It's custom when someone has a boon to ask that they do it at a gathering of the whole village. If we don't cater, they wouldn't come. Yes, we have much the same thing where we come from. So that's why we have sausage sizzles on election day. So for our international friends, it's now a tradition. At elections yeah. to tuck into a sausage,
1: well, it's now become sort of semi-official.
0: Yes, and I, I was enjoying this article on uh, abc.net.au uh, from Aussie Battler to icon of democracy: the history of the sausage sizzle. Oh.
1: And a sausage sizzle is for, for, if you don't know, the term uh, is just where you put some sausages on a barbecue and cook them up. And like they it's sizzle. nothing. They, they make a sizzling noise.
0: But it's an event. It's become an event. But it's a lot. It's at a lot of school fates, and it's handy for a fundraiser because you know it doesn't cost much to do, and people yeah. just hand over a couple of dollars and they get a sausage in bread.
1: You don't put much on them except maybe some uh, onions, some uh, barbecued onions.
0: So one of the earliest references to sausage sizzle in Australia was the year after World War II ended. The full moon sausage sizzle in Forbes was run by the Country Women's Association, collecting food to be parceled up and sent to England. And now we call it Democracy Sausage. (laughs) We do.
1: Well, since the rise of social media, that's become a hashtag. Mm. And indeed, there is a Democracy Sausage website where they plot where all the best sausage sizzles are at different polling places on election day so you know which one you want to go to to get a sausage while you vote.
0: Find the vegan ones and all that jazz. Yeah. So I just needed to do a little detour there because that one and the other two Aussie references, RSA, which is a Responsible Service of Alcohol Certificate. Yes. That you get when you work in hospitality that Eddie has. (laughs) Yeah, it's the sort of
1: thing that you get when you don't know what kind of job you're going to get, but it's a very traditional job for out-of-work actors.
0: (laughs) And the other traditional job is the work experience kid. So I'm not sure how this happens in the UK. I'd be interested to hear Mm. from from the audience. But in Australia, you hit sort of year nine, age 15, and often your school places you on work experience and you've got to go and source a week's work at a grown-up job and you turn up. Usually, it used to be my day, $5 a day. um, Oh, I
1: don't think you get paid anything. anything? I I didn't get paid anything when Uh, I did it.
0: And you essentially become a dog's body at a at a workplace and you you do the coffee run and you do the photocopying and you get to put it on your resume. And because I work in the entertainment industry, it's tricky because most of the work experience kids are related to the talent (laughs) and everybody wants to come in and work at a radio station or a TV studio, but it's, there's not many spots. Yeah.
1: yeah. It's kind of similar in the, in the games industry actually. (laughs) But
0: it's a common tag you hear in Australian parlance, like, oh. Who drew up that billboard of the work experience kid. Yeah. So when our trio is reunited, Sue has sensed that Anastasia and Eddie are butting heads.
1: Well, she'd have to be blind not to sense it, to be honest. (laughs) I mean, and they have that conversation about it at the start. And I like that because it's a nice moment where we learn a bit more about Sue and Anastasia's relationship.
0: It's never easy working with civilians. Civilians? We weren't military, Sue. Not officially,
1: maybe. But you know what I mean. Working with someone untrained... They're, they're sort of bonding over the fact that they've had the same experience in the same very oppressive workplace that's taught them to be a bit aloof and to keep things a I, bit professional. But
0: I really enjoy their working relationship. They just hit this nice groove with each mm. other. They can still have a bit of banter. Like and There's this line, and I love how Petra delivered it, where she just goes,
1: Oh, come on. Let me enjoy a bit of
0: field work for once. They just find a sense of play at work, and I th- it's sort of a bit frustrating for them, I think, that Eddie can't just find the joy in getting the job done. But also they won't let him get the job done.
1: No, they don't trust him to get the job no. done. And, and look, in some ways they're right not to. I mean, he's not good at a lot of the things that <laughs> they are good at that help when solving mysteries across time and space.
0: But like the work experience kid, you've got to empower them to be able to challenge themselves.
1: Yeah. You've got to give them some leeway.
0: Eddie demonstrates. He, he does have some knowledge. He figures out where they are based on his expertise in the Asterix world. Oh.
1: <laughs> that was so easy to write. I was basically look, Eddie is not me, but there's a lot of me in him and some of the things that he's into are things that I'm into. I don't think he's into Doctor Who that much actually, maybe a little bit, but he certainly doesn't seem familiar with the kind of concepts that would be in Doctor Who all the time that would help him on his adventures. So, yeah, I don't know. But yeah, Asterix was uh, was fun. I should say that he like me being Australian would have read the the British English translations of the original French comics which have much better puns than the American English translation, I will say. Oh, yeah, because they all have names like they all end in X. All of the male yeah. characters' names, and so like the village blacksmith is called Fully Automatics because he's, <laughs> he's like their mechanic, um, and uh, and the the chief is called Vital Statistics, and right. the druids called Get a Fix because he like <laughs> you know helps you out.
0: Can you talk to me about this quick fire argument the three of you have? There's two spots where Sue Anastasia and Eddie. Uh, um, sort of bickering back and forth.
1: Yeah.
0: One they do while they're running and one they do while they're tied up.
1: Yeah, so when, when they all tied up in the village, this is sort of where they have first got a moment to catch their breath and Eddie's like going, oh, the food smells really good. And they're like, you idiot. Like, we've got to get out of here. <laughs> it is a bit of a trope actually to give a character who's a bit of a dope, like an interest in food. But it's a, it's kind of, Fun and it's sort of a semi recurring thing for Eddie. Like he's eating food on the steamship in space this season. His last season, he was eating food when they went to the first alien planet. It helped him calm down. I think it's a comforting thing for him.
0: Also, food's become very academic over the years with the gastronomy and the and Master Chef and mm. hipster pubs and everything.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I think it's it's less that for him and more just sort of like, <laughs> well, I'm hungry. <laughs>
0: okay. Um, But the three of you in the studio, how was the recording of those triple arguments? Well,
1: you know, I think it was really important that we were all in the studio at the same time because we were able to bounce off each other. And I think it's one of the reasons why we try to get as many studio days as we can fit in the budget. And on this season, we we very consciously added a third studio day because in the original season, we were recording four episodes a day and that's intense and it doesn't leave you a lot of time for any retakes or um, to relax. And it's much faster than most people do it. We were only doing it for budget reasons because one of our biggest non-personnel costs was hiring a studio. But it's really important for comedy, I think, for the performers to be with each other, and it, it just lets you bounce off each other. And even in this scene where there are jokes and and you know it is fun, but it's also gets quite personal and uh, and a bit emotional. And the realism of that was easier to bring out when we were. Standing there, able to look at each other while performing. Let me untie you. Oh, uh... Wait, you're already untied? We got free as soon as Carissa left. Oh, I see. Just waiting for me to catch up, as usual. Eddie. Always ahead of me, aren't you? Well, not this time. And where do you think you're
0: going? Add it to the list of things you don't know about me. And it it almost seems like the pace of the studio day affects the urgency of the moment as they're awaiting their fates and deciding their fates and also, yeah, the rhythm of their relationship to each other and also they do have time to stop down and say things like, Oh, you did try and blow up the BBC. Oh, yeah, I did try and do that. That's right. I just yeah. have little asides.
1: <laughs> I was kind of keen to put that in there because, because you know, it's not Anastasia's normal style, but because of the machine, like she hadn't questioned it. So, yeah. and it's one of those things again. You know, you reward your regular listeners.
0: Let's talk about Amanda Buckley's character this episode, Gasetaya.
1: Yeah, Gasetaya. Yes. Originally, there was this whole. Other plot in this episode that I had to get rid of for time reasons. We just didn't have the time to like, there was a, there was a romance plot, but she's the sort of catalyst for them realizing what the historic moment is because she's come to the village from Vercingetorix who is the real historical high king or chieftain of all of well not of all the Gauls but he sort of represents them all but he ended up sort of uniting all the tribes to fight back against the Romans and she's come to ask Catarix, you know will your will the lingonians come and join us and fight back against the Romans so she's she's a bit of a serious character for Amanda in many ways. Like, we didn't give her as much sort of daring do and craziness. But I think that's okay.
0: Thank you, mighty Cataracts. I come in friendship, but my king's request is no small thing. And I did enjoy the huskiness in her voice this episode too. I'll be
1: honest with you. I don't think that was intentional. I think, much as I am today while we're recording this, I think she was a bit sick while we were recording that day. But it does work, yeah. Melbourne hazard. I love having both Dave and Amanda in all the time, but it's good to give them a straight character every now and then. And it's good to give Dave a character where he gets to sort of <laughs> get out there and, and do something a bit weird. And I think he really relished playing Venoginous the droid. Do you know what this is, Branwen?
0: A sickle?
1: Yes, made of silver, polished under moonlight. It's for the gathering of sacred herbs, but it's ever so pointy. We don't quite record them all on in the order that you listen to them. We record them according to uh, where the crossover we cast is. So what can we schedule on the same day that makes the most sense? Like if someone's going to do a major part in this episode and a minor part in another one, well, we'll record those on the same day. So I think we recorded this one and episode three on the same day.
0: Do your brains have any concept of timeline when you do that? <laughs>
1: Our brains do. Yeah. yeah. I don't know about the rest of the cast, <laughs> but for me and um, Jackie and Petra, we we have to sort of keep that in our heads is that, okay, the, the relationship between us has changed since the last episode we recorded or it will change. And the episode we recorded previous to this one actually happens later. right? So we have to go back to an earlier part where we're not as grumpy with each other.
0: <laughs> now we get to a favourite trope of the – Genre, And yes. that is playing around with time and the impact that the visitors have on history and the landscape. And now, can you talk me through Sue and Anastasia's logistics of how they're trying not to manipulate history by manipulating history?
1: Well, look, I mean, one of the things this episode explicitly does is poke fun at all of that, because Good. the, the <laughs> truth is that time travel is very confusing. <laughs> It doesn't actually make any sense. Like, oh, it, I mean, there are ways you can make it make sense, but you kind of have to stick with it. But one of the fun things about writing a show like this is that you kind of have to make a choice at some point. Are we going to decide how time travel works and consistently make it work that way all the time? Or are we going to do whatever the plot and story seems to make the most fun? And we picked the latter, but also we decided we would like talk about that.
0: Because you're all academically minded, so you all, I think, want to make it make sense. Oh,
1: yeah. Look, if I was writing a time travel movie, it would be probably the most boring time travel movie ever (laughs) because I would insist that you can't change the past. Like, you just go back and everything is internally consistent. But for Eddie, he's got that great line. You know why I hate it so much? Because you make different rules every time we open the door. One minute, it's don't sneeze on that cactus. You might erase yourself from existence. The next, it's quick, destroy all mannequins or the space race might never happen. And in this episode, they realise that their presence has perhaps altered the way history is meant to go and to resolve it, they have to stop anything happening that could only have happened as a result of their presence. (laughs) So, and, And so that's what they figure out is that you know, Gamwolf, the mercenary, only got into the village because he managed to capture them and use them as a tribute to the village to say, "Ah, oh, look what I've done. And they're like, oh, great, you can come to our feast. And that was going to give him the opportunity to poison whoever it was he was going to poison, and they stop him before he does it. So it's not entirely certain who that was going to be. But by stopping him from doing that, they feel like they have removed their undue influence on history. So,
0: And how does it fail? It fails because they think he's there to...
1: Well, I think he's going to stab someone. Yeah. So this, because he's got a little amphora of uh, poisoned wine in his hand behind they, his back, the,
0: which they think is a weapon.
1: They think is a knife. Yeah. And then it turns out no, it's just wine. But then the druid's like, "This wine is poison." <laughs> Druids were very, very important in early Celtic civilization. We don't know exactly all the things that they did, but we know that they were super important.
0: Is it sort of a little bit of an apothecary mixed with a monk mixed? With, I don't know. Yeah,
1: like I, I, think, I think it's one of those things where their precise role and how it fit into society would be a little bit difficult to translate into modern parlance. But, yeah, I think they're a combination of lots of different things.
0: This sort of climax when – Druids find time blasphemous, and then it says a pun with the pl- with the time and time. And was that rooted in history? Or did no, you, no, just, you I just made, made that up.
1: Because again, we don't know. We don't know anything about know. druids. So <laughs> <laughs> we, we know. I keep saying that we know lots of things about druids, yes. but we there's a lot of we don't know many specifics, okay. particularly about this period. Not that
0: specific, anyway, with herbs. No, no.
1: <laughs> but it was just nice to have that <laughs> have that nice pun at the start, and then have it pay off at the end.
0: But now we end on this cliffhanger.
1: Yes How un- dare you Only our second cliffhanger of the show oh, Very exciting So They're all leaving the village after they've accidentally insulted Well, after Eddie has accidentally insulted the druid <laughs> And they're arguing And uh, Eddie trips over So the other two get ahead of him And he has to make his own way back to the house And he gets lost uh, But then he sort of finds the house And he opens the door
0: Who are you? Oh dear And is he the one that says, oh dear, or is that another voice?
1: No, that's someone else.
0: Oh, okay.
1: I can't, I feel like I've given too much away in this conversation. You've got to to wait until next time to find out what's going on.
0: Typically, I listen to a couple at a time, and this time I didn't. And now I have to wait a week like a a normal human. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Well, interestingly, no one had to wait a week until it was being broadcast on the BBC, although I did know some people who did when they bought it, they just listened to it one episode a week because they wanted to tease it out.
0: Because you can buy all these episodes, of course, and that supports the Splendid Chaps as well. It does. In all their content creation. And as good a time as any to mention that you keep an eye out on all the socials because there will be information to come on a Kickstarter launching for... Crowdfunding a series three. Yeah, it's
1: true. We actually we just we just came up with a brand new reward that we're doing for this year's one that we haven't done before. We're gonna have a collection of brand new Night Terror short stories that I am gonna record as an audiobook. And it's only going to be available through the Kickstarter. We're that's not going to release it publicly. Delightful. So Delightful. Um, I think that's going to be a lot of fun. Um, and I'm very excited, actually. George Ivanov, uh, author and guest star in a previous episode this season, has agreed to write one of those stories. Beautiful. So it'll be the first time we let someone outside of the Night Terrace family, um, although George is really part of the extended family, but he's he's going to write one and it's going to be awesome. Well, I can't that, wait.
0: That's a treat. Shall we recommend some more content? Yeah, let's For people recommend. to consume while they wait? Let's do it. I'm just going to be on brand and mention Neighbours because it really is landmark storytelling at the moment with a trans character on screen being played by a trans performer who's an amazing activist, Georgie Stone, former Young Australian of the Year, uh, has been just a pioneer in terms of trans rights in Australia and making – um and changing laws essentially in the family courts so that um, trans children can have access to hormone blockers. Uh, instead of having to petition the court for it, they can go to their doctor and she approached the Neighbours team to write a trans character into the show called Mackenzie and these episodes are now online. They're playing out at the moment so you can find them. Um, we'll leave links in the show notes of where you can stream Neighbours But even if you're not a regular viewer, it's just worth uh, seeing how they're handling this because hopefully it'll pave the way for other programming to follow the lead and create more trans roles.
1: Yeah. Sometimes people belittle something like Neighbours because, you know, it is a soap opera and some people see it as disposable. But really, it's one of the hopefully most honest reflections of our culture. And sometimes that shows a side of us that's not so great, like when they try to introduce non-white characters and the audience doesn't seem to want them to be there, um, which they've had more luck with in later years. But then when they do something like this, people who see that, well, they get as close as they can get to that experience of meeting and knowing someone Mm. who's a bit different to them. It's just, it's really important, I think, that representation.
0: Offers a new perspective. And we also get to see Take No Prisoners, Susan Kennedy, played by our Jackie Woodburn, which is always a delight.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um Now, I would like to recommend an episode of Doctor Who, which oddly enough, I haven't done this whole season yeah. of On the Terrace.
0: You're on brand two today.
1: I am. I feel like I am. But there's a great episode from Peter Capaldi's last season, season 10. Um So that was back in 2017 uh, called The Eaters of Light. And it was written by um, Ronan Munro, who uh, wrote the very last story from the original series back when, before it got cancelled in 1989. Um, and it's also set in Roman era, uh, in Scotland with a bunch of Celts as well as some Romans and some weird sci fi goings on. And I think it's a, it's a nice sort of counterpoint to this episode because it's, it's also about, like, there's a, there's some other stuff going on in that episode, but I, um, I, just, I really enjoyed it. It was fun. And I think they, they also had a similar amount of fun with writing these ancient characters a bit more like they were just like us. There's some interesting stuff in that episode where they, They are doing some representation of who Roman soldiers are and what they look like that is very different to what you might see in an Asterix comic, for example, but is probably more realistic.
0: I've got to read some asterisks too.
1: Oh, yeah. Also, I recommend reading some asterisks. Excellent. Or watching some of the films. Like, some of the films are really great. Um, asterisks in Britain is a great one. So they go across the sea and it's this savage parody of English society. Because <laughs> um, they're Celts as well, you know, right? Back in those days. And they, they you know, they stopped the fighting with the Romans every day for like elevenses and. Um, They play a weird early version of cricket or perhaps Asterix invents one while he's there. I can't remember how it works. But yeah, that's a great one as well.
0: Get more info on this podcast and Night Terrace itself at nightterrace.com. Keep an ear out for the next episode on BBC Radio 4 Extra or bbc.co.uk, iPlayer app or BBC Sounds. Tweet us your opinions at Night Terrace. My other podcast is Neighbours at NeighboursPod.com. We analyse Neighbours. And we'll find out who Eddie has opened the door to next time we have another cup of tea on the terrace. Bye. You have been listening to On the Terrace, a Splendor Chaps production. Find more entertainment for your ears at com.